Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Chris, how are you doing this week? I'm pretty good, pretty good. Now, Rachel, last week we left off saying that I was going to vent for a minute and talk about uh, a situation that was frustrating me. I'm going to, a week has gone by, I've slept on it, I'm I'm feeling better about it, I'm still frustrated by it. It's, it's a situation where a student has had a device for a very long time and uh, went to a new speech therapist and that speech therapist was like, nah. I like this device better, so I'm change. I'm I'm scrapping six to eight years of instruction because I like this tool better. And so I was going to vent about that, but let's not. Right? That's a frustration we've heard before. We've talked about that before. Instead, I'd like to do something new and something that um, might be even more fun. Right? I'm down. I'm always down for fun. So I asked you just before we got on. I said, "Do you have your phone with you?" And I said, yes. What kind of tricks are you throwing my way during this podcast recording? No tricks. No tricks. But did I did I seem sus, Rachel? Did I seem sus? You already said that to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. So perhaps you did. Well, let me bring in a special guest here to to describe what I'm talking about and kind of walk us through a little tutorial that I thought might be fun for us and people who, who might be listening um, on in podcast land. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Come on in. So you might remember my daughter, Maggie. Hey, Maggie. Hi. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Maggie, what does sus mean? Can you explain it to Rachel? Suspicious. It means, am I suspicious or I think they're suspicious. Mm-hmm. Sus I am sure. sus always with your dad. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> but where did that word come from? Like, why did the abbreviation come about, Maggie? Like, where have you heard the word sus before? In a game called Among Us that I started playing. Have you heard about Among Us, Rachel? Yes, but only from you, Chris. <laughs> All right, so I thought it might be fun, because you have your phone there, for us to do a little quick run-through tutorial about Among Us. And while you're um, downloading it on your phone, if you don't mind, because it's a free game, right? It's not It's not uh, anything that you have to pay for. Right, Megs? Yeah, you don't have to pay for it. Um, we thought we would give you a brief tutorial, and then after we play maybe one session, we thought we would explain what the game is and why it would be interesting to kind of talk about on the podcast. And maybe afterwards, you and I can kind of break it down and think about why and why would we use this. Yeah. All right, so Maggie, um, while Rachel gets it up on her on her phone, and I get it up on my phone, can you talk into the microphone here and explain what Among Us is? So Among Us is a multiplayer game. You can either play with your friends, which you have to have at least four friends to play um, a, a few games. And then you can also play with more people. There's always a code in the game that you can add your friends on. So if you want to play in a public server, but you don't have four people, then you can always play with just random people. Strangers. Um, yeah. You can't talk to them vocally. There is a chat, so you can decipher who's the imposter. So when you say there's a chat, you mean there's a text chat. You yeah. can only text in there, but you can't talk or you use your talk. voice. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if you're in a private server and you're just playing with your friends that you know, that is it the same that you, you cannot talk verbally, or are you allowed to then? So you're not allowed to talk at all. There is no voice chat. Um, usually what me and my friends do is we'll hop on Discord or um, a FaceTime call and just talk through there if it's just us. Hold on a second. You're using big words that people don't know. What is Discord? Discord is usually used for gamers to just talk while they're playing games, and that way they can stream to their friends and have a huge chat. 
Mm-hmm. And that does have audio, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So, all right. So do you have it up, Rachel? I'm ready. And now, so we say the game, but can you describe what the game is? Like, you used the word imposter. What do you have to do? So the imposter is... It's an imposter among crewmates, and the backstory of Among Us is you're on a ship. A and, spaceship. Yes, mm-hmm. and there you have all these crewmates have to get tasks done. So you have to finish your tasks to bring the ship back home. The f- ship has to be functional, and that's why you have to do the tasks. But the imposter is trying to kill the crewmates so they can't do the tasks, and the imposters are trying to sabotage the tasks. Mm-hmm. So there is a little bit of violence in this game, a little, a little tiny. It's animated violence. It's like funny, a, though. Like a mm-hmm. Tom and Jerry sort of, I mean, uh, that's an old cartoon show, but, but the old sort of comics, right? Not Okay, so it's funny. how do we play? So we've got our phones up. Rachel's ready. I'm ready. What do we do? Ready. How do we, how do we, the four of us, or how do the three of us end up in a room together? So you're going to want to... Click online. Okay, online. And then click private, enter code. Okay. And then I'm going to give you a code you can enter. Okay, and we have to do it kind of fast? Yes, you have to do it kind of fast. Okay. Um, I have to find a game first because they're all weird. Um, so the code is N-V-J-G-M-F. And you hit done, and then you hit the little arrow to go in under private. Oh, I'm in. I'm You're here. In. Oh, I see. Her name's Rachel. My name is Punch. My name's Ogosh. <laughs> oh, well, I, I didn't know we could have fun names. <laughs> Man. <laughs> so the first thing you need to know is that there's a little computer monitor there. And if you go to the computer monitor, you move your little... Um, character over to the computer monitor using your joystick you can change the hat you're wearing and you can change the color of your astronaut cool i like well, why is it not like why are there x's on so certain things if there things? are x's on them that means that someone's already chosen that color oh i'll be pink then fine Ooh, i can have a fun hat this is exciting yes hmm. and some people I don't no one i know does but you can buy skins and little Little pet things and tiny creatures. This is how they'd make their money, is people might buy those little animations or those little, um, uh, what would you call them? Um, skins. Skins, right? So right now we're in a little bit of a lobby on the spaceship, uh, and we're running around, and we look like little astronauts that have different colors and different things on your head. And it makes sense to me why we'd have... Oh, okay. And then this, the game starts... And it tells you from this point on, there's no talking. Um, I'm going to talk because we're on a podcast. But it gave you, it told you whether you were a crewmate or an imposter. And your job now is to run around the ship using the little joystick and finding tasks to do. Or, if you're the imposter, get close to somebody and kill them. If you die... You are take you are a ghost, right? And tell us about a ghost, man. You can still do tasks, but you can't fix the um, sabotages. Sabotage. Now somebody can always call an emergency meeting. Yes, but and that is trying to vote who's the imposter and who's not, right? Yes. So, in the chat, if you open up the chat, there should be a little chat box at the top. You can be reading who they think it is. And then you can defend yourself. Luckily, no one's accusing me right now. So I don't even know if I'm the imposter or not. I still haven't figured that out. <laughs> so your name will be red if you are the imposter. All right. Well, what name? On on the game? Yes. Mm-hmm. So you should look at Rachel and then your little hat, and that'll be you. 
And if your name is red, then you are the imposter. Okay. And now you get to vote on who you think the imposter is during this emergency meeting. And that all the way you vote is you press on somebody because you think they're sus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're circling back to sus. Cool. <laughs> um, a little more backstory on this is sometimes people will complain how glitchy it is. Well, that's just it's run by three teenage kids. It was animated by three teenage kids. But it's if it kicks you out, then that's just a glitch in the game. I just accidentally kicked someone, and I'm not trying to, like, be mean, but I don't know how I did that. <laughs> yeah. So and I don't know what it means. You can't kick someone because the whole team will have to vote Vote to kick them. So okay. now you see somebody, this person, his name, his or her name was Christmas, or their name was Christmas, and that person was an imposter. But there is a second imposter on this ship. Someone else is trying to sabotage the ship and um, attack the crewmates. Your job, Rachel, if you're not an imposter, is to go around and look, walk around the ships looking for tasks. And in the top right-hand corner, there's also a map. So you can click on the map and you can see all of these yellow exclamation points that tell you where the tasks are. Okay. And the tasks are fun little things like downloading files and um, shooting asteroids. And what are some other tasks? Oh, Maggie? I found a dead body. Um, so a lot of, there's many different tasks. You'll kind of find them along the way. So I found a dead body. When you say you found it, your characters are running around the ship and you discovered a dead uh, a dead um, crewmate. Yes. So usually people will say, where is the body when you report it? And you'll tell them where it is. And then they'll usually tell you that you self-reported, in my opinion. See, they always think that I'm the imposter. Because you reported it, they think you might be the imposter. I'm just guessing because I have no idea who the imposter is. <laughs> Especially the first time you play, it's like, well, who? It's, it's even going on. Yeah. But you can see how cute the animations are, right? Yeah. And how you, you do need some fine motor control to use the joystick <laughs> to move around. I mean, there is another way. You don't have to use a joystick. There is touch, so you can switch your settings to touch, and you touch places on the screen <gasps> where you want to go. Oh, oh gosh. <gasps> Maggie got kicked out. People thought because she reported the, the dead body that she was the one that actually committed the crime. Ooh, tricky. But she wasn't, and she got kicked out of the spaceship thinking so, she was an imposter. So now you the, are a ghost as well. Yes, the little Ooh, animations. Oh, man. Oh. You guys. Rachel got killed. I, di I died. <laughs> it's okay. Join the club. We're all dead. So, yeah, I got killed too. So <laughs> the three of us were crewmates, right? Someone else is, is the second imposter. But even when you're dead, it doesn't mean that you can't play. You are Wait, a ghost. I'm a ghost. You can fly around and you can still try and do some of the tasks on the ship. I don't know what the crewmates are doing. Wow, it's nice. I can just, I can go through walls. Yeah. Yes. As a ghost. This is fun. So when you get kicked, basically the visual you have in your mind is you're getting pushed out of the airlock. Now there's another thing. Imposters, they know who the other imposter is, right? Yes. Your their name will show up red on your screen. <laughs> and imposters have the ability to move through vents where other people do not. You have to walk from area to area on the map. Yes. Mm -hmm. But vents allow you to jump from one part of the ship to another part of the ship. And it's only certain places that have vents. And they can also sabotage, which they haven't done yet. Maggie, the ships have room names, right? Yes. Like, what are some of the names? of? So there's cafeteria, upper engine, lower engine, security, reactor, med bay, electrical, storage. 
admin, communications, shields, O2, um, weapons, navigation. And you can you can use the map to know what the different rooms are called, right? Yes. And another thing you can do when you're a ghost, which you can't do when you are alive, is you can just use the chat whenever I want to, instead of when I'm alive, I have to be in a, me- a meeting of some sort. Hmm. All right, I'm going to try and finish some tasks here. Like, I'm going to go to electrical, and I'm going to try to do one of the tasks in electrical. Because none of us were the impo- Uh-oh. Yeah, they won. The imposters won. See, we were defeated. Good versus evil and evil won. So there are different maps, too. There are three different maps. We played on the most common one, which is called the Skilled. Now, you played with, we played with 10 people because we played on a public server. Yes. Um, and again, people don't have to use their real names, but because it is a public server, people could type in bad things on the... Well, you also have censor chat. You can have censor chat on, so if, like, you, if they say something that's not appropriate, it'll usually censor it. It'll censor it. They have a whole database of what naughty words might be. Yeah. Okay. Phone numbers are also censored. Instagram numbers are censored. Gotcha. So you can keep this level of privacy. Yes. But if we were going to be talking about playing with your friends, you usually play on a private server. Yeah. So we can make our own server. And when you do that, you can choose how many imposters there are. You can have one, two, or three. Me and my friends found that three are too, is too much, and they most likely will always win. And one is too little, and the crewmates will always win. But two is just enough. Um, the You can choose the map. And how many people you can have in it. It's 10, 7, or 5 mm-hmm. people you can have. Usually we go with 10 just to let everyone in who wants to be in. We make our own server. Then we have our friends join with the code. And there's a little button at the bottom that says you can turn it private. What other questions you have, Rachel? Because that's our, that's our quick, you know, 15-minute tutorial on how to play Among Us for everyone out there that's heard of it. It's a, uh, I feel like these games, Rachel, um, they, they, there's certain things that come and they ride on a wave, you know, and Among Us is sitting on the top of that wave right now. It won't always be there. It'll crash at some point, and there'll be another game that comes along upon it on the next wave. But I feel like it's important for us as therapists, as educators, as parents, to kind of be aware of what these games are and what they can do, right? Because how much fun is it to be part of these waves when they happen. Yeah, it's really relatable, too. A few of my teachers have used Among Us to engage kids and get them. Wait, really? How? Yeah, they'll put little Among Us characters in the slideshows, and then my other, my homeroom teacher dressed up as an Among Us character and ran around his room for, like, 15 minutes. (laughs) I didn't know that. So what other questions do you have, Rachel? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it feels like I need to practice because, like, anything else that you just start, you need there's a learning curve right I need to figure out how this all works Um, here's what I like about this one I think you're right Chris we need to make sure that we're on the pulse of kind of what kids are doing and and games that are fun and out there and kids are playing but I love the the social element of this game um, because not always is it that you play a video game and that you're able to engage with your friends collectively and so I think this collective gaming experience is awesome, um, especially if we're thinking through the lens of, of individuals with disabilities. What a great 
platform to be inclusive and to help everybody join in something that's fun and engaging. And there's definitely lots of language opportunities that I see um, in something like this. Totally. So let's talk about those real quick, Rachel. I mean, some of the ones I saw clearly, the it's colors, right? I mean, you're, there's different colors. And when you are suspecting somebody, you might type in the type of color. Like, I think it's blue or, or, or white. Um, so colors is a big aspect. What else did you notice? Well, there are fun hats. <laughs> and the fun hats, right? So that's a way of using your descriptive teaching. So that's a strategy we talk about where you might say um, the triangle hat, uh, the one that doctors wear or something like that. Mm-hmm. The one that helps people. There's uh, uh, the black hat person. I mean, there's there's ways to just describe what you're wearing. I mean, mm-hmm. I have seen teachers um, put names. There was a game where a teachers recorded themselves playing but had their names as certain molecules and um, there was another one with atoms and what was inside the atoms, and they would place themselves in the map, and it taught everyone. It was cool. I think clearly clearly, some other language concepts are up, down, in, out, did it, um, found it, that one, not me. You know, there's lots of different core vocabulary that can be used here to describe what's happening in the game. I mean, core vocabulary, that's the whole point. It can be used for anything um, that it's so flexible. Um, But in this game in particular, when you're having directions and you're navigating and you're accusing people, um, I feel like there's lots of different opportunities here. Yeah. And it's always really hard to find um, therapy activities for students who are AAC users who are a little bit older. And I feel like this kind of can be used for emergent communicators um, who might be, you know, in middle school or high school. I know that that's like a age where people often struggle to find materials that are respectful and fun and engaging. And I feel like this is a perfect example of something that could be fun for a lot of different age ranges and skill levels. And, you know, I think another thing, Rachel, is um, I know you're a big advocate of like uh, using certain vocabulary words that are popular in the moment. And that's why I was, you know, joking about sus a little bit there. But that might be a term that you practice your literacy skills on, you know, as opposed to bus. Uh, we're not going on the bus right now, or many of us are not. We're staying home. Let's do sus and still practice that short vowel sound typing it out. Or maybe if you're playing enough, it might be something that you would add to a key vocabulary or personal vocabulary page. Do you know? What do do you think? I think that'd be great. I love it. Is there other vocabulary real quick? Is there any other vocabulary that has come from this game that that you think of? So self-report, it gets used a lot. You use, meaning you get used a lot outside of the game. Like you, you say sus now when you're suspicious of anything, not necessarily just when you're playing the game. Well, you do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do. I say suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a Chris Bouguet generated? Well, uh, no. Many people do say it. Yeah. I just say suspicious because... Because you're cool like that. I want to sound smarter than I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You're pretty smart, Maggie. Yeah, totally. You just taught us how to play Among Us. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Maggie. We appreciate it. And uh, come back and teach us some more. Thank you. I will. I'm going to go to class now. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye, Maggie. Bye. Well, thank you for keeping me up. I mean, I, listen, I know you've been talking about Among Us, so 
I feel like that was really helpful for me to just see what all the cool kids are doing these days. Exactly, right? And don't you feel like that's something now that you could maybe like, now that you have more awareness of it, you'd be like, "Mm, okay. And now that you've played it just one time, you at least know what the characters look like. You get the general gist, even if you're not like super deep into the strategy, you're going to play it on your own free time. You'd know what the kids are talking about. And I feel like that's such a big um, aspect of of therapy, of, of education is having the finger on the pulse of what's going to be motivating for kids and fun for kids. Totally. I feel really excited. I'm going to use that in my in my therapy tomorrow. Awesome. I have a, a specific student that I feel like will love this. Um, I should have uh, streamed my my phone screen to this Zoom recording so we could show people and like put it in the Patreon. But of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, but I can see myself doing that during virtual therapy and being like, where should I go next? Um, you know, making a really engaging experience with kids using core vocabulary or, you know, whatever it is that I'm trying to target. Absolutely. You play together collaboratively. Love it. Like if Maggie was here, she'd just be telling me where to go, right? Uh, or if we were playing digitally or virtually, telling me where to go. I love that idea. So, Rachel, I think what we've got coming up with this episode is part three of Talking with Tech Live in New Jersey. And if you guys haven't signed up for our Patreon, we're doing a Talking with Tech Live on December 9th at 7.30 Eastern Standard. That's 4.30 Pacific Time if you're like me and you're on the West Coast. Um, It's completely free to our Patreon members and we're really excited. Um, So if you haven't joined our Patreon, go to patreon.com backslash Talking with Tech. I'm really excited for our, our Patreon version of Talking with Tech Live, Chris. Me too. Me too. All right. We'll see you there. feel stuck with a challenging case or a burning AAC question that you just can't seem to figure out on your own? We're excited to announce Talking With Tech Live, a virtual event that will help crowdsource solutions, strategies, and tools you can use with your AAC clients. This isn't your traditional professional development course where you sit and listen to presenters talk. Of course, Rachel and I will be there to answer questions, but our primary role is to act as guides. The real magic of this event is that you You, the people participating, share your ideas with fellow attendees so that we can all benefit from our collective experiences. What's even better is that we're offering this event for free to our Patreon members. The next event is on December 9th at 7.30 Eastern Standard, 4.30 Pacific. To join us for Talking With Tech Live, you can sign up to be a Patreon member at patreon.com backslash talkingwithtech. Once you're a Patreon member, you'll also have access to behind-the-scenes content, bonus interviews, and lots of other free resources and ideas for your therapy. Here's the next question is, I'm working with a new student, high school student, who is using Toby Dynavox with iGaze via Zoom. Help! Um, so Shannon here, I'm guessing what you mean is help in distance learning because how do I do eye gaze in distance learning? So Shannon, do you want to come on for a second and tell us a little bit more about this student? I see you there, Shannon. You're muted. Hi, I am at school. Um, so the student is medically, um, necessary to be home. And so I will be zooming in with a student and this is a very new student to me. They've just moved here. Um, they have also just started with Toby Dynavox with eye gaze. And, and so being in the state 
of Maine, it, we only have one or two kiddos like this, maybe for some in their career, but for some of us, you know, I have a couple a year, um, and where I do the high school, I usually have more. Um, so I'm concerned about just how do I get started? I have worked with Dynavox before, but I haven't worked with the eye gaze piece to this. And um, the child is non is considered to be nonverbal with um, with very limited um, ambulations. So because of CP, there's also epilepsy and a trach and um, peg tube <laughs> we're talking a lot of a lot of challenges for the kiddo and i just wanted i want to do everything that i can to help him communicate and to help him communicate with family um and then maybe connect with students as well because other students we are in school four days um so like him to be able to connect with other students too if possible okay Rachel, go ahead. I, I have some ideas for you, Shannon. So, and, and uh, first of all, let me just say, we, I just interviewed, oh my gosh, Kylie Gustafson, Kaylee, Kaylee Gustafson. So she actually came on to the podcast. It hasn't aired yet, but she talked all about eye gaze and telepractice. So I don't know when that's going to air. Maybe we should bump it up, Chris, because it feels yeah, like a lot of people are struggling with this. Um, there's a few things. One, of course, coaching, right? You can coach communication partners. We always have that in our toolkit, even if we don't have the technology piece. As long as we can see a student and their caregivers, like we have an opportunity to coach, uh, teach strategies, practice strategies. Um, the asynchronous video can be really helpful. Having a parent take a video of an interaction, um, you know, so you can kind of see the device, how they're using it. Um, another thing that Kaylee taught to me was you can, you can teach the family how to connect the device to the Zoom. So basically the device is a participant in the Zoom meeting, and then you can give remote access to the clinician, so you, Shannon, um, and then once the device, the eye gaze device is connected, then you'll be able to see, um, you'll be able to see where, you know, as long as you have um, the tracking ability to see where their eye gaze is going. And then if they're a participant in the meeting and they give you remote control access, you're able to then pull up any website, any website that's clickable, an eye gaze user with a Toby Dynavox should be able to activate. Um, so I, I don't have personal experience with this at the moment, um, but Kaylee talks about how to create like a Zoom participant. So basically the eye gaze system is a participant in the meeting. Um, and then there's tons of really great resources. Actually, Chris, I just uploaded, scheduled to our Patreon, um, the video because Kaylee showed some really great videos um, on like the resources that she uses. Um, and then the last thing, cause I want everyone, I want, definitely want to crowdsource this one for you, Shannon. Um, the other thing is uh, a simple yes, no visual at the bottom. So you can see, um, you can like, look down is yes and look you know look down is the left is yes look down is to the right is no um depending on the student's mobility that can be a really great low-tech solution um to just be able i mean obviously we want to try to do more than just yes no um but it can be a, a starting point um, especially for teachers that are trying to get engagement with the student during class um, who might not be able to figure out how to add the student 
as a participant, the student's device as a participant in the meeting. Um, but those are the three ideas that I had off the bat, but I'd love to know anybody else has suggestions for eye gaze and virtual. Kelly does. Kelly I do. does. I see one. <laughs> I even turned my camera on for that. Um, well, I had a, I have a kiddo that sounds really similar. Uh, we actually ended up switching him from eye gaze um, to a, a dual switch user um, because sometimes our kids with CP, they have trouble controlling their bodies and making them work. And sometimes that includes um, their eyes. Um, sometimes there's some visual apraxia. Um, so I, I wasn't sure based on your description, I'm going to move my screen. So I'm like looking not in the wrong way. Um, <laughs> So sometimes, like, I don't, I couldn't tell from your description if at what level or what point they are in their AAC learning, are they able to access a pretty robust grid or are they on like a really small vocabulary set because of access? Uh, Kelly, I haven't actually met the student yet. Okay. I have, I've never seen the device that the student is utilizing, but it is brand new. Okay. Basically brand new to them. Sorry, now I'm in witness protection. So in my virtual session with my the kiddo I was talking about, um, we actually logged in. The logging in through the device is one way. It does have to be unlocked, and my students is. But I also, um, I have the mom um, also log in through her phone, and she uses that as another camera. So I, on, on his computer, I'm getting his body language because he communicates with his body and eye gaze. Um, and then I, I, on the phone, she has it pointed towards his device so that I can see what's going on. Because again, he's a um, switch user so and he's scanning, uh, step scanning through it, but I can see what he's doing. And um, so that, I mean, that helps me in the session. I do have, I mean, I put it on multiple screens, so I'm like seeing different um, all the different pieces. So that can be kind of tricky sometimes if you don't have one. Um, but, um, that's one thing that's really helped me because I am dependent upon looking at his body language for some communication. Uh, but I also need to see sometimes the um, audio is not working as great if it's not, um, uh, logged into the session. So, it helps me to be able to see what he said and be able to see any mistakes that were made so that we can go back and I can model those correctly and we can uh, work on that some more. Um, and that's worked really great. Um, I think the first, one of the first things you have, to, you have to kind of figure out is where that student currently is on their device. And that will be probably helpful if you can see it either through logging it in or getting a camera shined on it. Um, during your session. Um, and if they're not on a robust vocab set, you, if you've really limited their vocabulary, you might need to take a step back and, and think about, do we need to, to approach this a different way if they can't access uh, very many. My student came with, X, he, had, um, he was on a two by two. We bumped it up just to a three by three and he could not access that top row. Um, so I just got permission from his mom to try switches and he was immediately successful. And he had, he, his behaviors were reduced to zero once we did that because he just needed success. So hopefully that helped. Kelly, amazing. Thank you. This is why I love this because we're all <laughs> people helping people, right? <laughs> yeah. Kelly, there's some follow-up questions and comments here. So Mark asks, 
Is it true that you need a third-party app slash website to remote into Toby devices? If so, are there any that you recommend using? Um, this, my particular student that I've done it with, um, we actually switched him over to a PRC accent. Um, so he uses Core Scanner now. Um, so I'm not sure I haven't done it with Toby. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and that is a question we could ask directly to Toby. You can ask, call your, or, you know, contact your Toby rep, and I'm sure they'll be able to help you. And then, Ryan, I see you got your camera on. Tell us about Control Bionics. Uh-oh. He's muted. And we present. can't see his mouth moving because he's got a mask on. <laughs> he's masked up. <laughs> Thank you for stopping the spread of COVID virtually. <laughs> Uh-oh. Ryan, you want to come on or you'll be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> you can just freeze and pretend you're frozen. <laughs> Uh-oh, it looks like he's trying to unmute himself. There we go. Got to figure it out. So, so tell us um, about Control Bionics. Yeah, so it was a cool thing. I just got to go and check out the um, the station that they had. And although I didn't get to do it, somebody else that I was with um, had the device. They actually um, just put the node right on the person's leg. And the thought of making your muscle move was what controlled the switch. So instead of having it, like, even if you have somebody who, who doesn't actually have the ability to use their legs, they can still use a muscle there muscle group there and it'll still work um so just the thought of moving the muscle activates the switch so they can use that with their eye gaze um on their devices or even on a computer actually and you can control the computer you can you can draw and, and all that it's i mean it's really i thought it was pretty cool unfortunately when i got home and i looked up the price it is certainly a little pricey but, but yes. it's cool if, if it's something that uh that you're trying to figure out a better switch or somebody who's, you know, paraplegic, they can do that instead of having the bite switch or a blow switch kind of thing. Sweet. Thank you. Thanks for yeah. unmasking and coming on real quick and, <laughs> and telling us about that. I appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. Also, thank you for sharing in the comments, the spreadsheet, <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, for you, those of you who haven't seen the chat, I shared a link. Um, there's a website, Ian Bean. It's out of the UK. It's awesome. I love the, there's like um, a music page um, with like Justin Bieber and it's like basically like you can use it with an eye gaze user um, or direct select. I use it with a lot of my students um, and it's just a really great resource for accessible. Uh, it's an accessible website with lots of games and it's completely free. So I'm going to add it to the spreadsheet, Ryan. Thanks for sharing the link. Um, but that's one of you know, many. And actually, you know, if you're able to do the remote access, well, let me rephrase that. If you're able to have the device connected as a participant and get remote access, I mean, anything you're able to click online becomes, you know, you're able to do virtually. So using boom cards or basically any website, there's another website called happyclicks.net, which is like a cause and effect type of thing. I have to tell you guys, it's so basic, but like I'm talking like third graders are like asking to play it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is interesting to you, but um, really great free website as well. Um, that's really good for cause and effect and a variety of different ages and skill levels. Um, so I'll add both of those to the spreadsheet.
Andrea writes Tar Heel Reader and Tar Heel Gameplay. Yep, those are great as well. Um, and Andrea also writes Team Viewer, maybe a remote option as well. So, all right, so we've got lots of strategies to look at or lots of tools to, to look at that might help um, in this situation. Are we ready for the next, the I'm next ready. one? All right, the next one is what social media is most inaccessible? So I'm going to take this one, Rachel. Great. Uh, so the way I would answer this question is there's tons of different social media websites out there, right? So uh, a better maybe way to pose this question is be like, what questions might I ask when I'm looking at social media to say, is this accessible? So you'd want to make sure uh, is text, can text be read out loud? Can, when I post an image, can I... Um, tag it with alternative text. Um, if there's video, can I add captions to that video or is there captions in the video? Um, can I look, can I change the contrast of the, uh, the, the, the content that's coming up there? Now also oftentimes that can happen with your, um, your actual device, like your Windows device or your phone those settings, but does it work with those settings? Like if I am trying to access my social media on a website uh, through my phone, um, or access my social media through my phone and I have my high, high contrast feature, does it actually work? So those are some questions I might be asking when I'm looking. And of course, depending on why you're asking this question, I might be looking at the specific user involved and go, okay, what does this person absolutely need to make the social media ac accessible? So, any other comments or thoughts there? No? All right, let's move on then. Um, and I can post some of those questions, by the way, I'll come back and I'll put them in the, uh, those, just those questions. I kind of have a list of questions I like to ask. I'll pop them in, in the spreadsheet. Uh, and not just in social media, educational materials in general, right? Um, all right, so the next question is, any tips for motivation via Google Meets? <laughs> yes. So this question, let me elaborate uh, on this question because I feel like this is um, – uh, a question I get in my neck of the woods a lot in the last two weeks where we have gone, we, in my neck of the woods, it's all remote instruction. And it's like, the student is not attending to the screen. Can you do something to help them attend to the screen? Like one, one uh, occupational therapist wrote us and she said, for a while we had access to this extension that allowed us to have like these bubbles that come up across the screen. And that got my kids' attention for a little while. Um, and then that extension got blocked because there were some issues with it. And she's like, is there something else that we can use to, to be attention grabbers? So I think that's what this question really means. Um, how do we grab attention and maintain uh, uh, motivation um, to be participating in, on, on the screen? So I'm going to jump I have, in. I have opinions, but I want to see what other people. I'm going to jump in um, just for a second. And um, I really think that we need to temper our expectations for students. Um, the same way that I go into circle times, you know, with three-year-olds at times. And I'm like, why are we expecting three-year-olds to sit for 30 minutes during circle time? Um, so I think that part of what I'm doing for kids who have, um, you know, mobility is making sure I like, I'm doing short little bouts and then we have a sensory movement break. Um, I think there's something to be said for preparing students to learn physically. So that might mean working with your OT and, figuring out some sensory strategies, some heavy work. Um, there's lots of different things that we can do to get our students ready to learn. Um, so I think that's part of this. Um, but also just like I said, tempering our expectations. Um, you know, oftentimes if I'm doing, you know, a one-on-one -on -one direct with a student who I know has fleeting attention, 
Um, you know, I'm not doing 30 minutes and expecting a student to sit there with me. Um, and that's why I like the hybrid approach of working with a communication partner, um, you know, and then maybe for 10 minutes doing an activity with a student. Um, it doesn't have to be this all or nothing approach where it's like, okay, like, you know, parents are sitting there, kids sitting there, and I need to fill this 30 minutes with, you know, a direct activity. Um, so I think having a, a coaching hybrid makes a lot of sense. Um, when it comes to Google Meets, Sarah Gregory's in the house and like she knows all things Google. So Sarah, do you wanna come on and share some of your, your tips and tricks? I do have some thoughts, Rachel, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I do think for this question, they said Google Meet, but it probably they're kind of, you know, referring to any virtual platform. Google Meet can make it a little bit harder sometimes because some of the, a lot of the professional development I see on teletherapy is Zoom. So it's like, give your student control, annotate on this whiteboard and all this stuff that we can't do and meet. I feel personally that that's okay and that I actually get more engagement with my students when I'm not doing all of those tricks. So at first, I've talked about this a bunch, but I would see in March these tele AAC teletherapy sessions and you have your device mirrored and you have this digital activity and they have control and then you're annotating. And so I was like, okay, that's what I'm shooting for. And that really, if I'm juggling all of that tech, then I'm definitely losing engagement with my student. And something interesting this morning, I was listening to a talking with tech episode with Kathy Howery and her talking about um, modeling and how modeling in and of itself isn't enough. We need to have engagement with a student, which we might get that through a really fancy Google slide activity that I make, but it might not. It might be just like a little puppet that this is what I was doing this morning in teletherapy. Um, and so, yes, modeling's great, but if your student isn't attending to it, if they're not giving you anything back, then you need to shift. And my kind of biggest thing that I tell myself is when a student starts to lose engagement with me, I do less. So I shut down my mirror screen that I'm mirroring, or I close out my digital activity. And a lot of times if I use um, physical materials, which I'm always thinking like, oh, these digital things that I spent all this time making, but a lot of times just doing less tech-wise gives me more engagement. I have to agree, Sarah. I, I'm using like Mr. Potato Head, like real life Mr. Potato Head. And it's like, that's way more engaging sometimes than like the virtual Mr. Potato Head that I have. Um, so I think that we forget that we can use physical manipulatives virtually. Um, it's like all those kids watch like, you know, those YouTube channels where like someone's playing with like toys and they're like mesmerized for hours. Um, so we can use physical manipulatives during our sessions. See, exactly. Sarah's holding her, her barn and her horse. Um, and so I agree, Sarah, doing less sometimes makes a lot more sense. Um, because if we don't have engagement, um, then we don't really have a communication opportunity. Um, and so really like not forgetting about all of those toys in our, our cabinets. Um, I was doing something the other day. It was so basic. It was like, I was like pulling like things out of a bag and I was like, what's it going to be? You know, it was so simple. I literally had like this little box and I was like pulling surprise little things out of it <laughs> and we were working on out. And so it's like, it doesn't have to be the flashy and, you know, crazy virtual stuff. It can be simple. 
Can I just jump in real quick and say, um, you mentioned uh, a while ago now, Sarah, the idea that uh, in Zoom you can take control. Just in case people are not aware, there is a tool for Google as well where people can. It's called Chrome Remote Desktop where people can, sh you know, the student can take control of your device or you can take control of a student's device. Um, I really like what we said about that. You use it sparingly and that is not your go-to. I have, I have found it, um, uh, I've heard, I should say, from some uh, therapists and from teachers that this is a good tool when parents are struggling. Like, well, how do I click the thing and get the thing on the thing? Look, you, this is like a one-time thing. You know, I can decrease your frustration. Let me take over, get the thing installed that you need, get you to the right spot, and then give you back control. And let's have our, 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 you know, our experience rather than you wrestling through the technology aspect of it. I'm going to read through some of the, the chats because we have a lot of great stuff. Beth Poss. Hey, Beth. She says, making motor activities a part of the learning activity. Absolutely. For students who have mobility, we, there's no reason we need to be sitting, right? We can be moving around we can be you know up and about um, she also mentioned uh, the speak boutique that's an Instagram handle um, she says she uses tons of real games really creatively in therapy sessions I'm excited I haven't heard of the speak boutique but I'm definitely gonna start following um, Catherine Fredericks I use a lot of physical manipulatives during virtual sessions which is what we're talking about I think that we had this idea when everything went so virtual that like everything has to be virtual um, and we've been talking a lot about how that's not necessarily the case um, and then uh, Travis, I'm really happy that you said this. He says, with physical manipulatives, parents can also do this with the tech, uh, do this um, with the tech page, pages, they may feel less comfortable. Absolutely, like coaching parents through a play experience with their child is, you know, even more beneficial than any like magic tricks we have going on on our side of the screen. Because, you know, going back to the early intervention model, um, bagless EI, right? Like going into the home without any toys because we really should be using things in a child's environment to get them learning. Um, and we don't wanna bring outside toys in because it's the, the likelihood of generalization is so much lower. Um, so doing kind of a scan and talking with parents about what kinds of toys that their child is engaged with and likes to play with um, and helping coaching through that experience, I think is a really excellent idea, Travis. And did you see Barbara? Barbara said cooking and craft activities work really well too. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Awesome. Uh, all right, so it is 1138. So what do you think? One more question, Rachel? How, how did this go by so quickly? It's been, it's been great though. I'm really excited. So yeah, let's try one more question. All right. Uh, <laughs> I just saw what the next question is. Yeah, this we can talk about in five minutes. Um, <laughs> tell us about the language system first approach within a school system. Okay, so what does that mean? So what that means is um, this is a, uh, an approach to choosing technology for a student um, without necessarily having to do an, uh, an assessment. Um, there's lots of issues with assessments um, and the way they're currently run. And do they really necessarily come out in the wash showing you what is the, the, the perfect tool or the best tool to use for a student? Uh, I could go on and on with uh, my issues with assessments. Rachel already mentioned them a little bit uh, towards the beginning of this particular, uh, you know, this particular recording. So the idea with the specific language first approach is, um, and, and there's other issues as well, like we talked about transitions, how um, student moving from one school to the next, 
and the next therapist gets them or the next team gets them and they're like, well, I don't like this system. I'm going to use this system instead. And the kid keeps getting different systems. Um, so, and there's lots of transitions right now, meaning turnovers from, from um, staff to staff. So the chances are that you're going to get a new person in your life at working with you uh, as your therapist on your team is high. I would imagine a lot of students go through six or seven school therapists, go through six or seven different case managers in their academic career, and maybe even more than that. Where the constant force, Lauren, you mentioned this, is, um, is the family, right? So one way to, to help with all of that is to say, what if our school district adopted one primary robust AEC system as our go-to. This is going to be what we're going to use first. The kid comes in the door and without doing an assessment, without really even trying anything, we're going to give them lamp words for life. We're going to give them Proloquo. We're going to give them Snap Plus Core first. We're going to give them whatever the tool is that you have adopted as a school district as your go-to thing, your, your language system first approach. Now, if there is some particular reason because you're reading through the paperwork, you're talking to the family, that that would not be a good first step, like uh, we know this student is not going to be, a, a, be successful using this particular tool because X, Y, or Z, or maybe they're coming into your school district because, and they've already a proficient on another tool, we wouldn't say, no, in this school district, we only use Lamp Words for Life, or in this school district, we only use Prolo Quo. That's not it. It's just the idea that you would start with something, and this way you would train your entire staff to how to use that particular system first, and all the strategies that you learn to use to become better at modeling and using that system would then translate over to other systems, right? If I learn how to model in one system and I got good at it, and I knew the concept of modeling, and Lauren mentioned the wait time, and learning that strategy of, of asking reflective questions, and, and knowing about um, parallel talk and, and small talk, if I learned how to do that on one system, then it might translate over when I have to, when I am, have to, when I do have to use another system. Um, it also gets to the idea that there's a lot of shaming that goes on, like that a lot of, uh, you only know one or two systems, and so you only pick that one or two systems because that's the only one you know, rather than championing the fact that you know one or two systems. You know, oh my gosh, you know these systems really well. Let's, let's capitalize on that because there's tons of people out there that don't know anything. So let's, let's champion the idea that you went out and you did learn a system and you did learn how to use it, and that might even be better for a student, then you found the perfect system for that student that nobody uses, you know, that nobody knows except you as the one speech therapist that might be working with them for a year or two before they move on to someone else. So the idea is to build a culture around one particular system, realizing that doesn't work for everybody. You use this as, a, if you're familiar with the MTSS model, the idea of multi-tiered system of support, you use this as your tier two or tier three. That's something that's available and used by everybody, knowing that that's not going to meet everybody's, it's just a first step for everybody. There's still going to be some tier one uh, interventions that would be used for students that that, 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 would, that doesn't work for. So that's it in a nutshell. I don't know, how did I do everybody? Did that explain it? Those of you that heard me talk about it before, any oh. other thoughts? Comments. I have some. I have some thoughts. Um, I'm actually in the process of creating a course, uh, like a two-hour course on virtual AAC assessment, and I feel like now more than ever we need to be focused on not what is the perfect system, but
but instead, what are the what are the tools and strategies I can teach communication partners that work with any system? Because the reality is, first of all, there's no such thing as a perfect system. Um, you know, we need to have a robust system. So as Chris mentioned, when we pick one or two systems, you know, yes, let's make sure that they're robust language systems. Um, a lot of the options that we have now are robust, but I think we have this idea in our head about AAC assessment that's like, I need to try all three things and make sure that like I figure out the perfect system. Um, when we spend so much time doing that, we, we take away the time that we have coaching communication partners. And I feel like with virtual AAC assessment, what a golden opportunity we have now we have to teach communication partners. You can't do an AAC assessment virtually without coaching communication partners. Um, and so let's take this as an opportunity. Um, yes, it takes longer virtually than it would be if I was you know, whipping some things, uh, devices out of my bag and trialing different things with students. But I think it really pushes us in the direction of we need to support communication partners first and foremost. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll add is just we, like Chris said, we're already doing this and a lot of us feel bad about it. Um, so Sarah Gregory mentioned she put this on her social media and people were like secretly being like, yes, yes, like I agree with this. Um, we don't need to feel bad about being in a district where we use one or two systems um, because that's the reality is we can't know every single system and every single feature of every system. Um, they're changing constantly. Um, and so what we do need to focus on is the implementation piece because we know that if, if no one uses that perfect system, what good is that perfect system? Uh, we need to support communication partners. Okay. Thank you for all the positive comments, by the way. There's tons of positive comments and I saw the thumbs up. So thank you for this. Yeah, that's uh, because it can be a little bit um, controversial. So sure changing, shifting everybody's mindset here can be a little bit people put their heels in. And Beth writes a good point here. She writes, one of the issues is that we have to do it for insurance, right? So how do we change that is the question I ask. Uh, because if it's, uh, and I think a lot of school districts do not have to do it because of insurance. They have adopted the approach because that is the way we did it for privately in insurance, but you don't have to do it that way. Um, not necessarily. So. And one of the number one questions I ask when I'm working with a new client is, are there any systems that your teacher or your speech therapist or you know about? Because inevitably, in different areas of the country, different systems are prevalent, right? So that's already happening naturally. So I don't want to recommend a system that no one's heard about if everyone on the team has familiarity with a certain system that is robust that can work. Um, so it's a huge consideration when I'm thinking about what systems do I even want to trial. Um, it's who has experience with some of these because if I have a teacher that knows lamp words for life and everybody in that school knows lamp words for life. It's like, okay, like, let's start with where they already have some familiarity and knowledge. Um, and, and consider that when we're doing AAC assessments. All right, everybody, it is 1145. So, so sadly, sad. we have to bring this to an end. And actually, there are a number of other questions that popped up here. I feel wow. like the best we can do, Rachel, here is, one, let you know about the Access to Education Conference coming up in Indiana. I don't know if that's available to everybody or not. Beth, do you know anyone else presenting there? Can anyone sign up to that? Because we're doing this again. We um, a few times. Yeah, we have another. We're also doing it for, we're making a proposal for an upcoming conference. So hopefully that'll get accepted. Cool. I, I thought they could, Beth. Thank you for it. She said they can. Um, so 
and definitely we will put this out on the podcast. We will try and get to these questions in the podcast as well. Um, yeah, Lauren's presenting at the Access to Education. Anyone can sign up. Great, right? Great, great, great. So it sounds like this was successful. Would you guys say that this was a good session? Like, hopefully you guys learned a lot. I see thumbs up. Thank you. Um, we're really excited because this is really what we should be doing more of as a field. Instead of continuing education, just being like, hey, let me just talk to you about what I know. Let's crowdsource. Let's brainstorm. Let's collaborate with one another because we all have insight um, and you know, tools and techniques and strategies. And this is the best way to enhance our practice. So I'm really excited that we were able to do this and you guys were able to join us today. If you do want people just talking to you and you just want to listen, Listen to a podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> we love hearing ourselves talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks so much for your time and thanks for your insights and sharing. And, um, and good luck out there. Can't wait to hear, uh, Annie, how you got that job. <laughs> <laughs> yes, follow back up with us, Annie. <laughs> Thank you. I will. Oh, All right. See you guys. Bye, everyone. <laughs>